right, I'm going to ask you to please turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, as we start in on our series, you have a little outline, just kind of a guide. I'm going to try to have these in for you um, as we go through this series. I make no guarantees, but I'll do my best to have something to help guide you along. I don't want to make any promises I can't keep. I've done that before. So Romans chapter 1, I do want to read the first uh, seven verses as we get started this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much for your precious word. And as we embark upon Romans, Lord God, just pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you would be with me to bring forth your word in a faithful way, Lord, in a, in a way that is, is helpful and strengthening to, to our faith, Lord God, and honoring and glorifying to you. So, Lord, please help us to engage with our uh, hearts and our minds and truly, Lord, be, be transformed by your word through your spirit to grow in our faith, our knowledge, understanding, and then the outworking of our faith. And I pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Praise God. All right, as we start Romans this morning, how you doing? <laughs> this is a mat. What I just read is massive. It's massively deep. Rich, beautiful, gracious introduction, a loving introduction to this letter at the church, for the church in Rome. Uh, the whole introduction covers 17 verses, actually. There are three main sections to this. This is a massively long introduction, and it's so filled. Um, this is why Romans is intimidating sometimes to pastors to preach, and even for us to hear, because there's so much there. Like, where do you start? How do you get through all of it? Uh, but even here, there are three main sections. The first seven verses, the verses that I just read, that's just his initial address to the group, to the church in Rome and then obviously to, to Christians later on. Verses 8 through 15, he talks about his, his, kind of like his obligation to that church in Rome and to the gospel and, um, his, his reason for, for, uh, bringing the gospel there or writing the letter. And then verses 16 and 17, just the entire theme of the, of, of his, of this epistle is, is there. So there's so much here. Um, just the address, how he opens his letter, he introduces himself. He gives his credentials. Here I am. This is who I am. I'm, I'm Paul, and here's why I'm writing to you. Um, he describes the gospel in verses 2 to 5. He then greets the church. Uh, hi, hi, guys. How you doing in that way? But um, this section, what I just read this morning, has at least, this is why sometimes it's intimidating to, to go into Romans, has at least seven doctrines. I mean, major doctrines of the faith. Do you know that? Do you know what I just read to you? Has seven, at least seven, maybe more doctrines. You can just see them right there. 
They include the prophetic witness, the Old Testament witness of the Christ to come, that the Old Testament speaks to Christ. He talks about that. It includes uh, the nature and person of Christ, his humanity and his deity. That's a big deal. It includes the, the doctrine of the resurrection. Yeah, just what I read. The lordship of Christ over his people. It includes effectual calling that he calls a people to himself and the Trinity as well. There are just, this is just packed with doctrine. So you could see why it's like, oh my goodness, what do you do? How do you get through this? This morning, we're going to consider one verse. That's it. The first verse, not even all of it. <laughs> Don't worry. It'll get better as we, as we move on. I can see you guys what? <laughs> going to be here forever. One verse as Paul introduces himself, and he explains the capacity in which he writes to this church, and he tells them three very important things about himself. And that's what I want to focus on this morning as we look at this verse. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So, first of all, he lets the church know that he's a servant. That's most important, a servant of Jesus Christ. That's his posture. That's how he comes to the people, and that's how we need to come before people. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, first of all, who he is uh, and, and what he is, absolutely. Then he says he's called by Christ to be an apostle. That's where he gets the authority. That's why we listen to him. That's why we take heed of what he has to tell us. And then thirdly, he is set apart to preach the gospel. And that speaks to his mission, um, that he was made by God to do this, to preach the gospel. So that's it. Nice and easy, three uh, points in the outline this morning and in the sermon. First of all, Paul says, I am Paul, a servant. What's it mean to be a servant of Christ? That is a statement of loyalty. It is of humility, of dependence, and of love. We don't like being servants so much. We like to be served. And even in the day and age in our society that we live in, everything is kind of about us getting what we want, having what we like, having people serve us. Man, we are servants of Jesus Christ. Paul puts that first for a reason because that is most important. That has to do with our conversion. We were serving ourselves at one time. Now we are serving Jesus Christ. It's important for him to know that. The word, most of you know that word that Paul uses. That word's a very strong word for servant. It is doulos. It is a bond servant. It means to be a slave of Christ. To be owned by and entirely at the disposal of his master. That you do not belong to yourself anymore. Are you a servant of Christ? Then he commands our life. He shows us, he teaches us, and we follow him. We're purchased by him, and we belong to him. And that's what Paul says when he says, I'm a servant, I am a doulos. And that word, again, it is applied metaphorically. It's a metaphor to someone, for someone who belongs absolutely and entirely to Christ, entirely devoted to Jesus Christ, not yourself, not others. You are, you have devotions and priorities in different places, but first and foremost, it is Christ. The fact is that as slaves belonging to Christ, we've been set free from the bondage. That's what's so beautiful about being a slave of Jesus Christ. It's almost like a paradox, isn't it? We are, we are slaves of Christ, but in Christ we're set free from the bondage to our sin. So in Romans later on in chapter 6, we are... Uh, 
told this, but now that you've been set free from your sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So we've been set free from the cruel master that we once served, and that is Satan. We've been set free from the the fear and the penalty of death. If you're a servant of Christ, we don't fear that kind of bondage. We've been set free from the pains of hell forever in him. So Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 7.22 says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he's called is a bondservant of Christ. That's the ESV. I also like the NLT in in this, um, with this verse. He says, and a reminder, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. That's well put. We are slaves of Christ and there's great freedom in him. That's kind of the paradox. We're free as slaves in the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes against the uh, usual typical meaning of slavery and being in bondage. But that means that we're free in Christ, that we're not slaves to our sin. Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a bond servant. I'm no longer slavishly serving myself. And we don't do that. We're not slavishly serving our flesh as Christians, right? as we did before. We're not captive to sinful desires or the silly notions of what we thought would bring us freedom and peace. And people are searching for that. They're always looking for something that's going to bring them freedom, that's going to bring them peace, that's going to give them some kind of purpose and meaning. Right? So whether it's, whether it's wealth, whether it's position, whether it's popularity, whether it's power, whatever it is, all those things... And they're not necessarily bad in Christ, but all those things apart from Christ have a unique, particular bondage of their own, don't they? So you could talk to some very, very wealthy people and you just see how enslaved they are to that wealth and how afraid they are to lose that. Or people in, in a high position, they've strove for that position, they've got to that position, they thought they'd be fulfilled and have peace. That's the last thing they have. So many times and so often, they're just feel like, you know, it's lonely at the top time kind of thing. And it really is. So there's not that, man, I thought there'd be more. Or the, or the, the movie stars or the, the, the people, people in popular culture. When they finally get there in those honest moments, they say, is this it? It's not what you think it is. It can't satisfy you. And that almost becomes a bondage in itself because you need to try to maintain that or gain even more to try to get that peace. You'll never have that apart from Jesus Christ. We are servants of Christ. If you're not serving Christ, you're serving something, someone else. Ultimately, it is Satan. So there's the paradox. As a doulos, as a slave of Christ, we are set free in order to willingly wholeheartedly serve him because of what he's accomplished in us through Christ. Paul says, I am a servant. I'm a bondservant. I am a slave. I am owned by my master, Jesus Christ. And he's thankful for that because of what he's accomplished. Nobody's going to say they're a slave. Nobody likes to be a slave to the, in, the, in the typical manner that it's put forth, right? Are people going to go around saying, hey, I'm a slave to my sexual desires. I'm a slave to, to that. No, am I a slave to my lust? You're not going to be shouting that from the rooftops, being in bondage in that way. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a slave to my greed. I just can't have enough. People aren't saying that. They're not going around doing that. I'm enslaved to alcohol and drugs. I'm enslaved by that. Yeah, no, right? It's not that. Not 
usually good connotation, but in Christ, we freely proclaim that. Look at James 1. We, yes, we are slaves for Jesus Christ. Proudly and thankfully, James, a servant, that's that word doulos, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And then also Peter, 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1. Simon Peter, a servant, a bondservant, a doulos, a slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jude 1, New King James says, Jude, a bondservant, a doulos of Christ Jesus and the brother of James to all those called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ as a Christian, as Christians. This is who we are. Paul says, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a bond servant. I'm a bond servant. He owes me. I don't owe myself. I am not my own. I belong completely to him. I am a willing instrument in the hand of my Redeemer. I am not my own. And we see this in Paul. And we see this in every true believer in Jesus Christ. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a doulos of Christ. I'm going to ask you this morning, are you, are you a bondservant of Christ? Does he have you completely? Are you willingly serving him in every sphere, in every aspect of your life? Are you willing to stand on his truth? Are you willing to, to count the cost? Are you willing to take up your cross? Are you a slave? Are you a bondservant? Are you a doulos of Christ? Paul says, first and foremost, Romans, here's who I am. I am a servant, just like you, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do all that he commands because he loves us. Amen? We servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's number one. He was also not only a servant, but he's called to be an apostle. And it's really good that he mentions that for us here because that tells us about his authority. That's why we listen to him. That's why we obey. That's why we love his letters that he wrote. Literally, it means the sent one, one who is sent. And it's important that he let the Romans know and he lets us know this is where my authority comes from. The authority that I have was conferred upon me by Christ, right? I'm authorized by Christ. Um, uh, it's like a, a, the word actually means like delegate or authorized representative. So Paul's not self-appointed. He's not just some Johnny come lately with his own ideas. Here's what I think. Who is this guy, Paul? Right? What authority does he have? We know Peter and James, they were with Jesus, but, this, but Paul, why should we even listen to you? So he's making sure, this is why you need to listen to me, because it's not just what I'm saying, but I'm authorized by the Lord, and I'm bringing his word. I'm not self-appointed, I'm not appointed by other men, but commissioned by Christ himself. So he's not just a servant, but an authorized representative, an apostle of Christ, sent by him with divine authority, as an apostle, so what he writes is of the Lord, and it's to be received as such, and it's to be heeded. And I stress this, and I'm pressing this a little bit, because even today, there are people who kind of try to pit Paul against Jesus. You know, Paul said this, but Jesus really never even talked about justification by faith alone, and Paul's over here, and they try to make that. No way, that's a Paul, he is an authorized, it's Christ who commissioned him. So he's saying and bringing forth what Christ would have him bring forth. So don't pit Paul against Jesus, or that's just Paul thinking over there. No, he's an apostle with the divine authority, writing scripture that is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. Never pit Paul against 
Jesus or even the others. He has the same and equal authority with the other apostles. Just as much as Peter, just as much as James, just as much as John. He is an apostle. So turn with me to Acts chapter 9, and we'll see briefly uh, the, the idea of this calling. This is where his authority comes from. This is why we need to listen. In Romans, this is why I'm speaking to you. It's not just for me. I'm not just a dude that comes along and telling you things, but I'm commissioned by Christ with his authority. This is where the weight is. So um, Acts chapter 9, you know, this is Paul's con- conversion of Saul. And what I do want you to see where this authority comes from. So, beginning in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus Damascus, named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he has been in a vision, he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come to him and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, and here it is, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and did that. See, Paul was commissioned by Christ, an instrument of Christ. In Galatians 1.1, we're told this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Also, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, Paul revealed, revealed himself, uh, the Lord revealed himself to Paul. He says, last of all, as to me, one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He appeared to him and commissioned him. So Paul's a servant. He's a bondservant of Christ. Very simple. Just like all of us, first and foremost, he is a Christian. And now he comes with the authority as an apostle to God. That's why the Romans and all of us need to heed, need to listen, need to take it in, need to obey. This is the word of God. So that's good. Servant and apostle uh, set apart. Finally, in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Here it is. He's set apart. This is his mission. Set apart to preach the gospel. This is what he's meant to do. This is how God's going to use him. This is what the Lord is going to use him to do. And this is what he does. So in Galatians 1.16, we're told this. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone but he was called to preach among the Gentiles. And that's the key to everything, beloved. So in the simple verse here, it's Paul, who's a servant of Christ, just like you and me. We're called, we're set apart. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to Jesus Christ. He rules, he reigns over us. Number two, he is an apostle. That's where the authority comes from. That's why we listen. That's the weight. And then number three, what's his mission? To preach the gospel. And that's what he does, and that's what we are to do. That is the key to everything. That is why, that is what makes the difference. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ. That's why Christ commissions and sends out. That's why he tells us to go to the ends of the earth to make disciples. To bring forth the word of God is to preach the gospel of Christ. 
And we live in a day and age where we need so much more of that, not just from the pulpits, absolutely from the pulpits, but from you as well, from the bond servants of Christ. We've reached a point like almost of no return. It is definitely Isaiah 5, 20, right? Where things are called, things that are good are called evil and things that are evil are called good. It's hard to reason with people this day in a rational way. They're not interested in reasoning even, and even using their mind, and even using common sense, even using biological facts, things that we just take for granted all the time. We are living at a time right now, today, where nothing short of the gospel itself is going to penetrate hearts. I mean, we do try do need to reason, give it hope for the answer that lies within us, but it's the gospel of Christ, where hearts are transformed, where hearts are changed, and then you actually know the truth, and are receptive to the truth, or are transformed by the truth. That's where we're at today. You need to preach the gospel. Paul was sent to preach the gospel of Christ. We're kind of beyond trying to reason with people, as it were. It's an all-out call to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10.7 tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul was sent to preach the gospel of Christ. He was set apart for that. That's what he was called to do, and that's exactly what he does do. And we see that in his life, that he lived up to that calling. And all of us as Christians are called. Some have a special calling in that regard, as preachers to, to go out, but all of us are called to proclaim the gospel as the Lord gives us opportunity to do that. Are we doing that? That's a big deal. That's a big challenge to you, and it's a big question that you need to answer in your hearts. Are you preaching the gospel of Christ. Because that's the means that he uses to penetrate hearts. Don't take it for granted that people are saved. Don't you know try to ease them into the kingdom. Right now is the time to preach it clearly and very boldly that Christ is the way. That's how hearts are changed, man. That's how, that's how you were changed. That's how lives are transformed. And that's how societies are impacted for good. We know that there's a lack of the preaching of the true gospel, even in our society today. Why? Look where society is. Look where we're at today. There's the, we're not even, we've lost our influence as Christians, for sure, at this time. There's no doubt about that. That goes directly back to not preaching the gospel itself. The gospel in all its fullness. Paul was set apart to preach the gospel. So he does that and he sets an example for us to do the same. That gospel of grace, the free offer of forgiveness, sinners saved by grace, called to repent, to believe and to receive and to rest on Christ. For Christ has done it all. He was set apart to preach the gospel. That's what transforms. You, you know it if you're a Christian. That's what transforms our lives. That's what transforms societies as well as we have impact on society as hearts are changed and the Gospels go forth. We're called. Paul set apart for the Gospel of Christ. And you see, it's because salvation is all of grace and it's all of God. And we're going to talk more about this idea next time. But for now, I just want you to see how embedded this idea of the doctrine of the Trinity um, is in this passage and throughout Scripture, and especially in regards to salvation. So I talked earlier about one of the doctrines that are here, and that's the doctrine of the Trinity. You could see it. And it's it's so cool because the Bible doesn't have a section called the Trinity. That'd be nice. <laughs> it doesn't have that. But it has passages throughout that teach us, that show us, that prove 
God is one in three distinct persons. And they work together, fulfilling and bringing forth the decrees and purpose and plans of God, including in salvation, right? So, so this is a Trinitarian passage as well. So he says that. We see the gospel of God, Jesus Christ, the son of David, according to the Spirit. You see the, you see the persons of the Godhead there? We also have in Matthew chapter 3, another Trinitarian, very clear passage. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up to him. And he saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. You see the Trinity very clearly. The voice of the Father and the Son was there. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. Acts 20.28, we could be here all morning doing this with different passages, but this is an important doctrine that we lay aside. Oh, we're saved by Christ, but there's so much more to salvation. We are saved by God from beginning to end. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, Theos, which, he's, which he has obtained with his own blood. You see that? His own. That's the Trinity. That's a Trinitarian passage for us and that's throughout scripture and when it comes to salvation it's god that saves us it's god who's here in our passage this morning that saves us and that's theologians call that the covenant of redemption well how are we saved in that way we talk about salvation it's the fullness of god it's god the father who from all eternity purposes to save a people so from all eternity, there's a plan in the Godhead. It's not just, oh, one day Jesus came down and decided to save people or decided to give his life and all you have to do is... Tr- tr- no, 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 no. This is the purpose and plan of the triune God to carry out salvation for undeserving sinners. So it's God the Father from all eternity who purposes to save a people for himself. He elects a people. He promises salvation through a Savior. Genesis 3.15, Ephesians chapter 1, were chosen to him before the foundation of the world, and he sends his only begotten Son, John 3.16. It's the Father who purposes to save. It's God the Son, Jesus Christ, who willingly agrees to leave the glories of heaven, to be born of a woman, to be born of a virgin. Philippians 2, Matthew 1, Galatians 4, to live a perfect sinless life to die a painful, shameful, substitutionary death on the cross, bearing the punishment that sin deserves, propitiating or satisfying the wrath of God, being buried and being raised on the third day, and so securing, do you hear that? He secures the salvation of all those God, all of those whom God has elected, all those whom God has purposed to be saved. So the Father elects, the Son secures, and it's the Holy Spirit who does what? who applies that salvation to those people. That's why Christ came on a mission to save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that's why we preach and teach it. It's the Holy Spirit who applies salvation. What does he do? He does remove the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. He does open the eyes. So that moment that somebody preaches the gospel to you, and you see it clearly, because we'll preach and we'll tell people and we'll plead with them and we'll try to persuade them and we'll beat them over the head if we have to sometimes, but that's not going to do it. We're called to do what we're called to do and that's to preach it, to give an answer, to provide that gospel for them. 
but we know that it's the Holy Spirit that changes. Praise God, it's not you, it's not me. There's no, no good doing that, there's no good there. No luck in that. But it is the Holy Spirit. So that moment when you came to faith and the lights went on and your heart was changed and you saw yourself for the sinner that you were and the Savior for who Christ is and you believed and repent, that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart through the means that the Lord has given to us. He applies salvation to you. Salvation is all of grace and it's all of God. It's nothing to do with us. So I love uh, the shorter catechism, question number 31. It asks, what's effectual calling? That calling of, of the Lord. It says, effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery. He's the one who convinces us of our sin and misery as we see how sinful we are and how far away from the Lord we are. Enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. Isn't salvation of the Lord? Isn't that lovely? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the triune God who saves us. Salvation is such depth to, to it. Titus 3.5 tells us this. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, that's the removing of the heart of stone, giving us the heart of flesh, eyes to see, hearts to believe, receiving and resting on Christ, giving your life to him, becoming a servant of Christ, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. Salvation is all of God. What do we do? We receive that, don't we? We rest. We repent of our sin and we rest on the Savior, the finished work of Christ, and then we become the bondservant of Christ. See how this goes back full circle? Paul says, I am a servant. I'm a bondservant of Christ. Because now we're no longer our own. We belong to him. Do you belong to Jesus Christ this morning? Do you love him? Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? Were you willing to forsake everything in your life for Jesus Christ? Are you willing to do all that he commands in order to honor him? and serve him? Or are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to look back to yourself? Are you going to serve the world? Are you going to give him most of you, but not all of you? Are you going to give him some of you, but not all of you? He demands all of you. And as a bondservant of Christ, we owe him that allegiance. We owe him everything because he's given us all things in Christ Jesus, right? That's why Paul says, I am a servant, number one. I love being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that we fail so often. We're never as good as servants as we want to be in serving our master. We always rip him off or hold back for ourselves or go astray. He continues to love us and brings us back. That's how benevolent he is and wonderful he is. But don't you want to serve him with everything that you have? Don't you want every decision, decision you make to be based on Scripture? to love him, to be the man that you're called to be, the woman that you're called to be in Christ. That should be our desire. That's the, that's the desire of a servant wanting to please their master in Christ Jesus because of what he's done. And that is a possibility. It's not just like hopeless. As we strive, as we grow, as we seek to, we are enabled to do that by, by, by his grace and by his spirit. That's number one. Number two, Paul's authority. As he does speak to them, again, he is he is saying, I'm coming to you, and here's why you need to listen to me. It's, these aren't just my ideas. These aren't just my teachings. These aren't my doctrines. This is coming from the Lord. I'm just the messenger boy, but with the authority from God. So you need to heed it. 
And number three, most importantly, what transforms is the gospel itself, the preaching of the gospel, set apart to preach it. Paul was a great teacher. He was a philosopher. He was an apologist. But more than anything else, he was a preacher. And he preached it fully. And he preached the resurrection of Christ. And he was arrested for preaching. Right? He was mocked for preaching. Remember Acts chapter 17? Right? When he was preaching the gospel, once he got to the resurrection, what did the people do? How did they react? Some just laughed. Okay, that's enough. That's silly. I'm out of here. Right? So people are going to react like that. They're going to think that we're foolish at times. They're going to be offended by the gospel, never by us. Well, not to be offensive, but the gospel will offend. Right? So, so some are going to leave. Others would said, hey, you know what? We're going to think about this and maybe come back another time. That's another reaction to the gospel. They may or may not. And then others will follow those whom the Lord has. That's the power of the gospel. And that's what we're called to do, is to preach that and to teach that, to bring that forth. We receive, we rest on him. That's it. Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ. I've been, I've been called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So that's verse 1. Only 432 more to go. Verses. <laughs> we'll take more than one. <laughs> Paul lays out his calling and who and what he is. And that's what each and every one of us ought to be. If we belong to Christ, we are servants. Where his authority derives from, and this is why we ought to heed and why we can believe this is all true. And then finally, the mission to preach, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only way of salvation, the only way of true transformation. Paul says, Romans, I am a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle, set apart for the gospel of God.